You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short and formal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. We'll get into topics or pieces of scripture that we didn't have time to meditate on in Sunday's liturgy, and sometimes we'll just explore a biblical idea or concept that relates to the series we're in or to who we are as a church. This week, our lead pastor, Andy, pastor of discipleship, Brett, and myself, hi, I'm Zach, director of liturgy and arts. Uh, We sat down to talk about what is one of the most well-known stories of all time, David and Goliath. We got into some of the mistakes we can make when we approach this story, especially, um, as well as some principles for reading Old Testament stories like this in general. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Okay. Here we are again. We did the best podcast known to man this morning. It would have changed the world. Yes, then, it's so epic. But then the Lord decided I went to it save it not. and it all disappeared. So we're going to try this again. <laughs> Take two. Going to kick us off, Brett? Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, excited to be back for second week of the chopping block. And we are talking about 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And you know, as we kind of mentioned yesterday, this is pretty familiar story for us. I mean, we hear this language often, whether it's around sports or other stories or politics or whatever it may be. We we hear this language used for lots of different scenarios in our life. Um, but maybe most importantly, before we get into the story and the text, Andy, you, you uh, shared a pretty, uh, I don't know if it was traumatizing or uplifting <laughs> childhood story about you dressing up as David for your church's uh, can't call it ha- Halloween fall, fall festival. festival. Yes, the Christian subcultural version of trick or treating <laughs> that predates trunk or treats. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in a home where we didn't trick or treat or do Halloween, and then one year our church decided to do a fall festival. Uh huh. Uh, which was really exciting for me because it meant I got candy to bring to school like all my friends. Um, and I don't know if this was the church rule or if this was the house rule, but we had to dress up as a Bible character. So yeah. I chose David. So for my you. mom helped me make, she literally, I think, sewed a David costume for me, mm. complete with a leather sling. It's hard for me to picture you in a David costume. Right it was basically now. a gown. It was a gown <laughs> with a rope belt. But I did have Perfect. a little leather satchel that I carried my my five stones Perfect. in. Okay, church, with that visual in mind, let's jump into the story of David and Goliath. Yes, sir. Uh, no, I really enjoyed the sermon yesterday. It was really helpful to even think through today as I was writing the sermon discussion. But but you kind of opened up your uh, sermon with something I think that's helpful for us to think through, or maybe something we've maybe never thought through before. But you kind of spoke to the danger of immediately trying to allegorize uh, the story or maybe just trying to put ourselves in the story, right, to, to make ourselves David right away, to run straight to that. There's some danger there. Could you speak to why that's so? 
Yeah, I think we I think we feel a, a couple impulses um, when we come to I think particularly stories like David and Goliath, these kind of narrative stories of heroism, right? Um, I think one of those comes from our culture. Uh, I think especially in America, where we celebrate heroism and individualism and and so it's easy to want to insert ourselves into the protagonist's place in the story um, and to take away from that, be the hero, right? And I think kind of right alongside of that is this this danger of moralism where we moralize the text. We end up saying in some form or fashion, be like David, yeah. which turns into, you know, do better, try harder, um, have the courage of David and face your giants sort of a reading of the text. And it, it just, I don't think is a healthy way to come, come to the text. I think Mm -hmm. there are healthier ways to come to approach the historical narrative and to actually read it in the way that we need to read it Mm -hmm. and to get out of it, what we need to get out of it. So with that in mind, Andy, like with keeping in mind that we're not, um, we're not reading ourselves too much into the narrative. Does that mean like on the flip side of that, that it's wrong to sort of take this? I mean, part of it's just, it's like a, it's a great classic story, which is why it's so, why it's so ubiquitous in our culture. Why there's like books about entrepreneurship called David and Goliath. Like, uh, so does that mean on the other side that it's wrong to, to take, kind of some of those more obvious elements of like, like when I was a kid, it was just like courage and boldness mm-hmm. and, yep. and manly, like I'm going to go out and I, I don't even care if he's bigger than me. I'm going to take on the biggest guy anyway. And, and, I, and even, you know, what you got into of David's like, um, zeal for God's name, mm-hmm. right, right? Like things that we admire in the story. Is it wrong to kind of like in teaching the story to our kids, like, admire that and aspire to what David shows in that story? Hmm. I mean, certainly no, the answer is no, it's not wrong. Um, I think to find some of those themes and um, truths in the, in the story, I think how we get there, I think is really important. And so one of the things that uh, I was trying to bring out in the sermon you know, when I talked about locating ourselves in the story, where do we first locate ourselves in the story? We don't first locate ourselves as David, but as those Israelites who are fearful. Um, and then David's victory becomes their victory. And that's actually what inspires their zeal, um, to, to go then take on the Philistines. And, um, you know, I think, I think how we get there is, is really important. Um, how we read the old Testament then, more generally, I think is, is really important that, um, I think Hebrews gives us a model of, so like Hebrews 11, like the emphasis is in faith, like by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Mm -hmm. you know, Rahab, by faith, uh, David, you know, et cetera. It's the, the key is, is David's faith. And then our tie into that is our faith in Jesus, the greater David, um, that's actually what ends up enabling the courage or enabling us to live 
like David. And so we don't want to, we don't want to completely lose those themes, right? Like we don't want to say, Hey, there's nothing here for you on that front, on that theme, but it's, it's how we get there that, that Jesus is our victor who's already won the battle for us and that it's his victory that inspires us to actually be able to begin to live a life of faith, Mm -hmm. a life of zeal. Um, I think it's really important to get it in that gospel, that gospel order. Otherwise, what we end up with is the burden of being like David. It, It was really cool. We were in city group last night and there was, um, someone in our group who shared, we were just kind of talking about the sermon and the passage and, and biggest takeaways. And there was someone who shared um, that her whole life, she's actually not enjoyed this story. She she hasn't liked this story because it just felt like such a massive burden mm-hmm. to to be like David and to face her giants. And she was just like, man, I it would make her anxious. She didn't feel like she had the strength to do that. And she, you know, she basically said last night, like, I'm kind of having this epiphany that like the message of this story isn't to face the giants, at least not on my own, that like Jesus has has done that for me in Mm -hmm. my place and that he's with me Mm -hmm. and that I fight from a place of victory. And she was like, I almost like I can feel this weight lifting off of me even right now in talking about this. And I think that's that's important because I think we. We do people an injustice and we lay heavy burdens on people when we, with without a gospel arc, tell people to just be like David, have courage and yeah. face your giants. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, I, mean, I just think it's a different way of viewing the Bible. It's a different way of reading the Bible. It's a different way of reading the Old Testament, especially. Um that's helpful to think through because, you know, like you mentioned, I think Zach just mentioned, and, and you mentioned a lot of us grow up, grew up reading these stories as, um, yeah, moralistic pictures to aspire to yep. like, Hey, you know, I want to be a leader like Moses and, you know, I want to have the faith without sight that Abraham did to leave Ur and go to the land of Canaan and, you know, some of those things are helpful and true, right? But uh, if we don't have a picture of what God is doing throughout the story of redemption history and salvation history, then we miss uh, kind of the core themes that are really going on. Yep, yep. I do think there's a flip side here a little bit too, though. We, we were in our preaching meeting, so every week we get together with uh, some of the the fellowship pastors um, that are a part of our, our church and we have a dialogue around the text mm-hmm. and try to trace out those kind of main themes um, for the preaching moment in each of those settings. And we were talking about David and Goliath. And one of the things that we hit on was there is a danger in, in the other extreme where we just go, man, we're just a bunch of cowards and Jesus is the hero. Yeah. And we kind of leave it there as well. And I, you know, I, I think a full gospel arc says, yes, we can't, Jesus can and did, but in light of his victory, we now by the spirit are enabled to begin to live into this life. You know, what made the difference for David was 
that the the spirit came upon him in power right before this in his anointing and in christ we're anointed with the spirit in christ we've we've received the holy spirit and the holy spirit actually empowers us to live lives of faith Mm -hmm. and to live out of the victory that Jesus has won for us. And so we got to be careful too, that, that every sermon doesn't just become, Hey, we're a bunch of cowardly fools and Jesus is the victor and that's it. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, we're a bunch of cowardly fools and Jesus has won the victory for us. And by his spirit and with his help, we now can begin to, to rally and live for him. And we've got to make sure that we're hitting on that last point as well, I think. And then you come full circle to, courage and the admirable qualities of David's character and but you don't just skip to those in a way that adds this burden of I have to be that person yeah right you if you tell the whole story with Jesus being the greater David um, you get kind of both of those sides of the story where it's it's not just to make me the protagonist it's also not I'm just a cowardly little Israelite That's hiding it. far away. Yep. It's uh, as as Christians, it's you kind of get both the you get both get to have your cake and eat it too. Well, with it's this story, and that's why I say like the order is so important. Mm-hmm. You know that we have to we make sure that we get to these things in the right order. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No, I I think that's helpful. I think we were talking earlier. You know, to Zach's point this you know faith-filled courage is real and something we're called to but you know that Eugene Eugene Peterson quote that you uh that you said was really impactful for me i think he said that david entered the valley of elah with a god dominated imagination not a goliath dominated imagination just thinking through what that means like even the word imagination what we mean by it um, and how that still puts God at the center of our courage, not ourselves. Because even when we think about, you know, I think of Galatians and where, where Paul says, have you started by the, have you begun by the spirit and now you, you're perfecting yourself by the flesh? Essentially like, hey, yeah, the spirit saved us, but now we're going to go and do it. It's, it's us now. But like the whole time, it's a God-centered, God-dominated uh, imagination that actually leads to David's courage and leads to our courage because... Um, because even if we get the order right, there might be a moment where we want to now take the baton and say, okay, I'm good, God. Right. I got it from here. Right. So. Makes me think of Paul's language of be being filled. Yeah. By the Holy Spirit. It's like this very active, passive, like, you do it. Be filled. No, be being filled, which is a passive activity. Like, it's a constant posture of, of dependence mm. and this active pursuit of, of the spirit's help. And that's, that's all of life, right? That is the God dominated imagination. We don't get that one time. We, this is why reading God's word is so important. Yeah. It's why time with the Lord daily is so critical because we need our imaginations reoriented back to Mm. how big God was. The problem with Israel in this moment with, the Philistine army and Goliath was that they had lost sight of God. Right. And, and they're, they were, they were captured by a fearsome foe and they weren't captured by the God who parts waters. Mm. Um, the God who makes the sun stand still. Yeah. They had forgotten who God was. And so coming, 
coming back to that regularly. We just, we need our minds dominated by, by God. We need imagination. I think this is, I think this is a key for how we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, too often we come to the scriptures scientifically um, or just as a checklist we need imaginations when we read the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to come to be awe-inspired by who this God is and what He's doing and how He's at work. Um, yeah, I that's think, what's going to inspire faith in our daily lives. I think that's good. That, that's kind of a good transition for another topic that that's on my mind in in terms of how we approach the Bible. You know, a lot of people are intimidated by the Old Testament. <laughs> Rightfully so. There's some there's some strange parts of it. You got to get through Leviticus, you got to get to the minor prophets. There's some there's some difficult parts, right? But when we think about Old Testament historical narrative, we've talked a little bit about it already, but but are there just some practical ways you give us as a church and our people and everyone, anyone who's listening to to approach these stories and these texts? Yeah, hopefully you know, I, th- I, I think this is more caught than taught. So hopefully, like, I'm modeling away as I preach. And mm-hmm. um, even these conversations, I'm hoping that we're modeling a way of approaching the Bible. But one of the things I would just say is, like, I think starting with, like, the grammar and the syntax, the historical setting of of the story. So like kind of where do we find ourselves grammatically? Where do we find ourselves historically? I think that's important. So one of the themes that emerged with the David and Goliath story is just that the language of defy six times in the story, that word is used. That's a central theme. And so we're looking for repetition. We're looking at what are those words? What are those phrases? um, What are those themes that keep reemerging in the story? That's going to help us make sense of it. So I would see, say at the surface level, that's where we start. Some of those themes are going to emerge from reading uh, progressively. So earlier stories, starting in Genesis, you know, what do we see thematically being recapitulated over and over, you know, that, that emerges in this story? One of those for us is... Um, you know, David's not the oldest son. God can pretty consistently is not following the law of primogeniture where the oldest son is the, is the favored and chosen one. He's Mm -hmm. choosing weak and foolish things. He's choosing the overlooked and the unlikely, Mm. um, for his kingdom and for his purposes. That theme emerges, but that, that theme only comes to us if we've been following the story that's being told going back to the beginning. So I think find our place in the text find our place in the unfolding story. And then I think ultimately we got to find ourselves canonically. We know that this story's culminating in the person and the work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so how do we read this story now in light of Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, those are, I think some real basic ways to help us find ourselves especially in like historical narrative mm-hmm. to begin to try to make some sense of it and go, man, how, how do I, how do I hear what, what God's maybe trying to say through this story? Yeah. I used to really struggle with the old Testament and come to it as, or, or sort of just run into all kinds of sources of confusion and um, doubt and sort of scandalous, like 
what am I reading? Yep. And that hasn't by any means gone away. Um, <laughs> like there's still some weird, weird stuff in there. But, um, but I think what changed my relationship with the old Testament, which is like my favorite place to read often, um, especially the narratives and especially the poetry, the wisdom literature, um, was just the idea that like over and over again, like the Bible doesn't tell us like begrudgingly dutifully approach the scriptures cause you have to, or else mm-hmm. it says like delight mm, yeah. in God's instruction. Yeah. And for some of us that might even be harder. Cause like, it's like, just give me the dutiful, just give right. me, just tell me what I need to know. But the Bible doesn't work that way. It, asks of us that we slow down and fall in love with it mm-hmm. and learn to delight in it. And that's what happened for me was that as I started to see some of the biblical theology things, like you described of how it tells a story, how it takes a theme mm-hmm. in the, when almost every theme is in the first like three chapters, you can find, you can find the youngest son being chosen over the oldest mm. and you can find Trees, like one of the coolest things was just learning that this theme of trees and what trees are saying, Hmm. which sounds kind of silly, but it's like the tree of good and evil. And if you follow it through um, to allusions to that in all throughout scripture to revelation, um, it can just reveal this beauty and, and awe um, at the genius of it. Like I think one of the best apologetics for the Bible is like how all like all these different authors over thousands of years in different languages and different cultures, like all their works combined to tell this unified, right. yep. coherent story. Yeah. And it's not a simple story. <laughs> it's not yeah. like it's not um it's not uniform in the way it's told, but it's it's this stunning mosaic. Yeah. Where like some of it's like densely philosophical poetry and some of it's really intense laws and some of it's these strange stories. Like one thing and I, my city group knows that I just if you hear me say anything, I'm probably parroting the Bible project and just <laughs> repeating what shout Tim out to Mackey Tim Mackey. Says, but, <laughs> um, but uh, like one thing he's pointed out as a strategy strategy for approaching scripture is like approach it as if you're visiting a foreign country. Like you're not going to understand everything you see right away, mm. but like just be there, just yeah. go be there and pay attention to what you can. Don't expect everything to just yep. magically inspire you. Like sometimes we treat it like a devotional and devotionals are good for that. But like the Bible's not a very good devotional book if that's what you use it for. Cause it's so long and, mm-hmm and strange it's it's strange to us because we come from a different culture so it's like treat it like a cross-cultural experience and then you can start to fall in love with it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's so good just to immerse yourself in it yeah i love that idea of immersing yourself in it and even like treating the bible as literature Mm -hmm. like read it as a story and yeah like good stories have themes that emerge and complex characters um, I think that's all super helpful advice. And and then just, you know, kind of back to this 
idea of imagination, like to read the Bible with imagination. I think in all of that, we're asking, like we're saying, like young Samuel, like speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Like, but that's not a scientific, like, just give me my three, three steps for today. It's a, God, I really want to hear your voice and I really want my imagination to be captured by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're a God of wonder and beauty. Uh, He is the ultimate storyteller. Um, And I think, I I do think that if you're patient there, that'll transform the way that you come to the text. Yeah, I think that's important. And I, you know, we have people in our church who have been around church for a long time, some for decades, some for years. And maybe they've read parts of the Bible, maybe they read the whole Bible, um, multiple times and and you used the phrase yesterday familiar familiarity can breed contempt and uh, I think that's even important for this discussion that you guys are having right now like that you know we can start to just be familiar with the Bible in in negative ways where we open and like oh I'm reading about Jesus walking on water again okay like like okay that doesn't like wow me right. or oh uh, yeah I just read about the resurrection he's not there. Well, good, he's still not there. I'm glad to know it again. And so I think this idea of imagination, I think remembering that we need the Spirit to guide us, mm. I think immersing ourselves, I love that word, immersing, and, and, and like immersing ourselves in the culture, Zach, but I think we, in some ways we've got to define our relationship with the Bible more than just a book like a novel on my lampstand, but it's it's a living word I'm going to to really meet the living God. Yeah. Living word, active spirit. And what we're asking for is more than information. Mm -hmm. We're asking for illumination. Mm -hmm. Um, We're saying spirit, we believe that you want to awaken truths into our hearts. Um, I think we said this back when we were going through some of the parables, but like a parable is not truly understood until it leads to transformation until it leads us to live differently um, I think that's true of all scripture ultimately that's not going to happen in a moment and every morning or whenever you read the word there may not be this epiphany but I think as we give ourselves to the word and we're asking the spirit to awaken its truths in our hearts like that leads to change that leads to change over time. And I think that's key. I think, Brett, what you said, that it's a living word. It's mm-hmm. dynamic. I think that's critical. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I guess the last thing I'd say, uh, and you guys, if you have any other comments, but the last thing I'd say, it's just, again, you've heard it from us, but it's really important to read the whole Bible. It's really important to read both Testaments. It's really important to know what came before the story of David and Goliath and what comes after it. Because, I mean, if you open the story of David and Goliath and have no knowledge, pre-knowledge or post-knowledge, you're just like, what am I stepping into? What kind of religion am I following? Am I lopping people's heads off? Like, yeah. what, what am I called to here? <laughs> uh, so understanding the narrative of Scripture is so paramount. Um, and, and, and just reading it. Yeah. There's nothing better for your interpretation to read Scripture, you know, with helpful resources uh, as you need them. But there's really no substitute for that. And that even that can only really happen in community yeah. with other Christians. Yeah. 
and through throughout your whole life. Right. Because it's like the people who I know who know the most about the Bible. I don't remember the, the principle of like what it's called, but people who know the least are the most confident. Yeah. And the people who know the most know how, how little they know. <laughs> That's yeah. good. The yeah. people I know who know the most about the Bible know that they haven't even scratched the surface. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's harder for someone who wants to really understand things to accept this, but like, you'll never just have it in your pocket. Right. right. Like, okay, I read it and I know it and I have it now. Mm-hmm. It'll always be as a living word. You'll never even scratch the surface. Yeah, you don't master. You don't master yeah. the Bible. Yeah. But you can't make progress. I love I love your metaphor of like seeing this as a cross-cultural mission trip. It's good. Like you don't learn a language overnight. You don't learn a culture overnight. That's a lifelong that's a lifelong journey. That's really helpful for me. Yeah. Me too. Well, it's been a great conversation. Our second try at this great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I hope, maybe more than anything, that, that this starts conversations in our city groups and in our church about not only this story, but the Bible uh, as a whole. So, until next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church, or if you have any questions about the kind of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card there. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch. This has been The Chopping Block.